You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, Anthony Saunders of Exercise and Disgust, Data Classed, Bastard Noise, and Hypertrophy. What's happening, Anthony? Uh, hello, I'm good. How are you guys? Fantastic. And I keep hearing you pronounce, it's not pronounced Hypertrophy? Hypertrophy. Okay, so Hypertrophy is how I pronounced it until I started listening to fitness podcasts. And then I started listening to this podcast called Stronger by Science, which I recommend. Um, and they say hypertrophy because hypertrophy rhymes with atrophy because it's the opposite of atrophy. Gotcha. So it's like, oh, and also I had somebody say to me recently, once I figured out how it's pronounced, I understood why you named the project that. Today, we're going to take a trip back to the pure series and. uh Man, we this one was on the list for a long time. This is really one that we I think it picked out of like we got to talk about mud sound for car stereos. Uh something I very much identify with the Pure series and also 1995 noise just in general. And uh that is what Anthony picked, so we're going to we're going to dive into that one, but I think before we get into that, Connolly's what have you been listening to? Well, been a couple great things on the stereo recently, including MSBR intensification 10 inch. So pretty. One of the lost episodes of Noise Extra. In fact, Gray mistakenly even said, didn't we do an episode on that? <laughs> yeah, well, because we kind of there was, did. Because the, yeah. there was a tease where you posted the note sheet for it. Yeah. But. It was an aborted episode. It actually never even got off the ground. It was just possibly planned. It's true. Well, we started listening. We listened. Right. And then it just, the episode didn't get recorded. But hey, maybe someday we need to circle back, as they say, because it is in the upper echelon of the MSBR discography. Would he's, you agree, Gray? He's just great. Yeah, I would. And... You know, we just did uh, we just did that sort of video exploration of Fracture of Silence over on the Patreon and been in an MSBR zone, well, just kind of always <laughs> and uh, revisited some stuff recently. And he's just Koji Tano had so much variety and expressiveness in his noise. And there's so many great and standout recordings and there's so many different approaches to noise on his stuff. So. Intensification is one of the greats, and it's been one of my favorite pieces of noise packaging. And it's so simple, but it's so effective. Just a, a damn metal box. But a slimline, delicious metal box. Oh, it's so delicious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Semi-industrial. Also, a little death pile, gash butcher. That the nasty one is a really really good one sort of in between Ne plus ultra and something like back on the prowl because it it's very there's a lot of non-vocal stuff there's a great one we get some we get a little more ed kemper which of course he provided on the murder seven inch but it's a great Ed Kemper one. There's actually a lot of Manson stuff on it, which I don't associate with Death Pile, but I really mm. liked that. And 
And then when the vocals are, it's just those great nasty death pile vocals. Not so much the GR vocals, but more the, and and not so much the Ne Plus Ultra vocals where there's hidden kind of in between somewhere, kind of in between in that. And I really, I really think it's an interesting, great look at death pile from that era. And I mean, you know, what a nasty name, right? Yeah, it's re- it really, uh, it's quite an image. <laughs> nasty name, nasty cover uh, in one of those vinyl boxes, you know, it just it's a, a real treat to behold. I love, of course, those black vinyl boxes from that era. Bloodlust, the Mother Savage box, they're slightly different. So they were probably from different manufacturers, but that just that great those great boxes back when they would make like vacuum formed vinyl boxes for tapes, <laughs> which you just cannot seem to find these days. Related to our recent seven inch episode, as well as a project that Anthony is involved in currently. We checked out the ground fault CD by bastard noise descent to Mimas. Mimas? I, I, you know, that's, it seems that's how you pronounce that word. I don't, I don't know exactly. But what I do know is that is a great Bastion Noise album. Yeah, it's not a word that one encounters in their <laughs> daily life, or at least our <laughs> daily life. So I am also uncertain. But uh, boy, Bastard Noise. Amazingly intense, yet possessing such subtlety. That one especially. That mm-hmm. one especially. Yes. That there's that that last track is so quiet, mm-hmm. but you you know the first track you get the you get the vocals and then it's just that that thing that Bastard Noise does the that, unhinged control. I like that unhinged control, and finishing us off, sort of leading into this episode, the Triple R fifth anniversary box set thing, just. 80s triple r 80s bolio is we we did the the velvet touch. seven inch yeah it has just that it's that triple r fidelity really mm-hmm. and i think this cd we're going to be discussing is right in that pocket yeah it's hard to not smile when you're listening to it because it's just that you know that sound i crave yeah yeah <laughs> and then, of course the cover is just so what an amazing picture and you know look Ron, he did it. Did it all before everyone. We're just we're just swimming in his wake. Anthony, what have you been listening to? Uh, Do tell. A whole bunch of stuff. I kind of I kind of listen, try to listen to something new every day. Uh, I kept a list one year, and it was like a thousand records in a single year. So it's it it like the yeah, it's, it's sort of. Uh, Voracious and omnivorous. Uh, the the Joe Stodd Warlord Special Edition. Uh, I picked that up. Lucky to get one of the twenty of those. I missed that, and I am sad. <laughs> oh, it's delightful. You open it up, and it's got you know, uh, 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 what's the word? Like pines, pines from a tree. Little little leaves from like, but they're the spiky kind of leaves. So they're you yeah. know. Um, I think like spiky kind. Nice. I think spiky kind of leaves is. I think they're called needles. The, I think spiky kind of leaves is the scientific term, though. So I think. Yeah. <laughs> so that has been in my car stereo. So I've been listening to that on loop, like when driving, and uh, actually saw Joe Stodd uh, last night 
at end times in New York and with the, he played the best set of the weekend. And it's really funny to be like super familiar with one of his CDs. And then, then one of the like hooks from one of those songs showed up halfway through the set. And like, he like put that tape loop in and I was like, Oh, he's playing the hits. (laughs) I do love that with noise. And when it's, uh, somewhat repeatable material in time when people are using uh, prepared tapes or loops or uh, even sequencers or samples. And you, you like get that moment of recognition in a live set of like, I I know this, but it's different. I mean, just like a band playing and you can kind of tell what piece they're doing. It's the same kind of thing, but in noise it's uh, happens a lot less often. So maybe it's a little more exciting. Yeah. (laughs) That's a new thing about my new project is I'm actually using a sampler for the first time ever. So so I was like repeating motifs and and like things that I'm revisiting multiple times across multiple live sets. And and that's it's actually quite fun. Um, what else have I been listening to? The the new Leah P record surviving the familiar uh, felt really appropriate for this episode because it does some things that like like when people say 90s noise, they usually mean sounds like Macronympha. They don't usually actually mean sounds like 90s. They sound they, like that's that's that seems to be like American harsh noise, 90s style. They they tend tend to actually be pointing in one direction. And I don't really hear stuff that reminds me of what what I heard a lot of in the 90s, which was like weird oscillators and uh sort of like that is weird squelchy noises, uh, not just like raw sheet metal crumble stuff. And uh Leah's record really reminds me of like like it does it's not i don't think it i don't know if it's intentional or not it doesn't sound like it's trying to pitch itself in this way it just comes through to me as as this as this it's got this sort of like when you hear the earliest bastard noise stuff when it's like it's like they just made these like primitive oscillators and there's and there's just uh this sort of uh uh, like it's more synth heavy in that way, uh, but it's still powerful and harsh and, and uh, really engaging. And it, it sort of like felt 90s to me in a way that I haven't heard other things pitch as pitched as 90s sounding like recently. Um, I've also been listening to the new Dada drumming batch, the heat signature and sunk cost that have the most exquisite packaging. The, the heat signature is like is like a pocket from that you'd like put a belt through on a your like as a like a soldier and it's screen printed with the name of the act and the uh, title of the record and it's got the tape inside and it also has this huge booklet of of all like military related information it's totally totally bonkers that one looks um, great I've seen photos I think I missed out on the edition that went pretty fast yeah I got I got that and I I got the shirt. And I was wearing the shirt and so was somebody else at end times. Like what, what are the odds that we're both wearing this shirt that there's probably 50 of and the new flag day batch with Tourette and uh, Peter J woods. And that, that, that Tourette record is, is a new standard and cut up kind of like just, it's incredibly stereo, incredibly fluid. Uh, just, just, you know, it's, it's one of those records where I listen to it and I'm like, mm, I got to step up my game. Uh, and I really like, you know, like that or like developer, like those, those guys really just like, wow, a lot of detail on this record. Uh, and also been on a huge boredom's kick for some reason, just, just I haven't listened to the boredom's in years. And I was just like, what does the boredom sound like to me now? And, uh, like in the nineties, they were, they were so weird in the nineties. 
And now it's just like very comfortable, very like this, this is just great. So really good to revisit that. And I guess the other two things is the new Boldy James with Alchemist, uh, Bo Jackson is it's like a weird rap record really like that. And the, and I've been listening to a lot of Fennoberg cause, cause Peter died. And of course, rest in peace. And, and those Fennoberg re- uh, records are great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, great. The heck have you been listening to? Got this Folkways record recently that I've been, uh, been on the want list and it is cable car soundscapes. It's from uh, recorded in 1982, uh, released in 1983 on Folkways. I think it had a, an LP press, like a private press before that. It's Jed Spear uh, recording the San Francisco cable car system before it shut down and on mass in uh, like 1982. And some of the tracks are more like field recordings on a, a trolley car. But the first track inside the cable barn is just like the, the cable cars coming and going. And it's total like mechanized screechy noise. And the same thing, the the last song on side B, uh, which is 11 and a half minutes, Metal of Metal is just like the, you know, nasty sound of the tracks and the cars and stuff. The other sides, the other songs, the other recordings have like more of a voice in them, like conversations on the trains and people around and stuff. And they're interesting as as sort of field recordings things. And the fidelity is definitely interesting, but. First track and last track are like, oh boy, <laughs> that's that's what I'm looking for in a in a field recording record or site specific recording record. And actually, I threw that on hot on the heels of the domain poetique box, which uh, Stefan from Just Ed just put out, and I listened to five discs of that in a row. And yeah, it is just uh, Anthony's holding his up here to to the camera, which none of you can see, but. What a killer box of, I mean, everything is like C60s put to CD. So it's like two 30 minute tracks, a, a disc and they hit a zone and they follow it and it just does that. And it's such a nice mood. Like I, I've been needing to concentrate on some stuff lately and throw that on and just having a, a good time and hot on the heels of the, you know, the Briley seven CD box, which I made my way all the way through too. So really some colossal box sets here. And also on the, uh, Along with that, Briley, I nabbed a uh, Sleep Chamber VHS, Sleep or Forever Hold Your Peace. So I watched that recently, which is a bunch of sort of music videos and weird video collage stuff to Sleep Chamber songs and very cool stuff on that. Briley's, Briley makes an appearance along with uh, you know some of the other Sleep Chamber rotating members. You know, we're a little sad hearing about how much you like that Oh, Briley we box, tried to listen to it, but... but- our copy, though it says it's been delivered, it was not. certainly has not been delivered. Oh, what a nightmare. Or our neighbor is really enjoying it. I don't know. But sadly, we... Or our neighbors are extremely confused by it. But that's true. We so don't we need it. to go ahead and reorder ourselves another copy because we've only heard great things about it. So sad. Great, great box, great material. Uh, you know, Briley box... On uh, Diofantine, just rules. And uh, you said you're sad. I listened to something sad. Exploded Star Sad Servant by Total uh, from the Self Abuse label, actually. Yep. And yeah, three nasty tracks. You know, I mentioned in my other recent listening the uh, Hard and Low CD, which I just loved. And so I threw this on. And I love this cover, this sort of like weird drawn xerox kind of can't tell what the hell is going on thing and it 
I don't know. This one has always looked like it sounds and the name fits so perfectly for it. So yeah, just enjoying some, some total. Heck yeah. You think we should talk about prick decay gray? I think you should intro the ad actually. I was going to, yeah, I was setting you up. Okay. You think we should talk about prick decay gray? I think we could talk about prick decay. Yeah. But Hey, before we do that, I think we should hear a word from our sponsor. Guys, this is what I like to hear. I like to hear you collaborating on making segues. That is an excellent way to hear a word from our sponsor. In 2001, Truggatronic invented the multi-channel tabletop audio controller, a joystick version, C4i, Iron Cross, and the button version, C4b suppressor, are cloned by many and equaled by none. 20 years later, the subhumans pulled the pin on the mother of all analog controllers, the C36 Revolution. See it at Trogatronic.com. Mud sound for car stereos. This title has always stuck out to me as like one of the most insane titles. And of course, seeing it kind of early on in the in the pure catalog when you'd buy some pure discs and, you know, that eight dollars each or three for 20 deal. And what what does that sound like? What does mud sound for car stereos even sound like? Well, it sounds like zero five tape madness from a madman and a mad woman and, and mad many madmen and, and mad many mad women as listed on the cd uh, many people were involved in this recording but according to dylan generally that meant they were on a tape sent to them and then manipulated on a broken four track well hey you know uh why don't we run down that list? I've got it right here in front of me because it's printed on the CD. <laughs> uh, D. Nayukis, D. Dahl, A. Bolus, N. Campbell, S. Foster, K. Constance, G. Funk, J. Russell, R. Eber, D. Phillips, E. Revox. There's one that's crossed out and then J. German. So a little tie in with the domain boutique box here, of course, but uh, look at that lineup. It is insane. Now, Anthony, you brought this to us. You said, this is an album I want to do with you guys. Give us your background with this CD. So I bought it in the 90s when I was in college. It's probably one of the first 20 noise CDs I had, maybe. Um, and it's got a lot of hooks on it which by which I mean, it's got a lot of very memorable moments. And, and this is like, this is kind of like a thing that's about my noise taste. It's like, I really like noise records where there's going to be, there's going to be a sound that shows up eventually that I will have internalized like the hook from a pop song. Yeah, everything else about the record can be just a, a wall of, of indistinguishable mess. But if there's like something that I can anticipate hearing and then I hear it, and then we move back into the stuff that's less easy to recall. Uh, that that's like something that brings me back and back and back to a noise record. And this one has so many of those. It actually has so many of those that I was surprised at how far apart they are from each other. Uh, when actually actively listening to it, is that it is that there there are these zones that are like incredible, just atmospheres and and weird things happening. Um, but this record just was it was incomprehensible when I got it, it was, uh, I mean, much as that, that list of names, I recognize like 
98% of the people that you mentioned, maybe all of them, I recognize them now. It's like, oh, I know who those names are. At the time, I didn't know who any of those people were. And, and so that's, that's, that's sort of, you know, that's like a metaphor for my approach to that, the, the record. When I listen to it now, I'm like, oh yeah, there's some tapes and there's a mixer involved and there's panning and like, like, you know, I can kind of sense how this, there's probably a sample of something or somebody's playing an instrument and then they're processing it in this way. But at the time, no idea. And it's just uh, the, 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 the band name is so aggressive, but the album title is so not aggressive. It's, it's just a really delightful balance of, of um, intrigue. Uh, so it's, it's exactly, and, and, and being part of the pure series, there's no like art on the cover, but there, I mean, there is art on the cover, but it's the same art as all of them. But then the CD has the personality to it. And, and, um, yeah, there's just a lot of balancing in this record, uh, and imbalance. There's a lot of weird stereo that like hangs out in one ear for a while. Did you have other pure CDs? Did you get them alongside this? Was this like a one-off thing you grabbed somewhere? I don't remember. I like, I, so, so I went to college at NJIT, which was in Newark, and I spent every weekend in New York City. I got a bunch of weird stuff at Kim's video in this time. I would always look through the used bin. I could always find a noise CD for $4. And sometimes it was one, sometimes it was five. And I would just buy everything that looked weird. Um, I ended up with, like, I have a promo cassette of Gallon Gravy by Pain Jerk. That yeah, is just I've like seen, no art. I've seen a yeah. picture of that. Maybe it's even yours. I someone sent me a picture of it. I don't even know where it yeah, was from. It surfaced on social media sometime recently. I don't know where mine is. It might be at my parents' house. But for a long time, I was just listening to that on my Walkman while waiting for the subway in Newark. Nice. And um, and yeah, and so so it's quite possible that I picked this up at Kim's. But it's or or adult crash or some of the other stores that existed back then. Um, but it's also possible that I bought this three for 20 uh, from Ron. Because I ended up with like 12 pure discs. I never I, I never like got the whole series, but I got a whole bunch of them over the years. And. Uh, um, but this one really stood out this this one and uh, and noise extra, actually Masana one. Yeah, that, it um, is a great one, and that's it's, so it's actually is my favorite CD face. The of uh, that just in general, I love the way the CD looks. It's so strange. This one also is strange too because it the CD the CD itself would lead you to believe that the album is called Fuck Gong. Oh right. <laughs> I like how you said fuck gong. I was thinking fuck gong. <laughs> oh yeah, I but thought it was fuck gong. I in my I mind like it's fuck gong. In my like mind it's the band? fuck gong. Like, like the yeah. gong hits and it's time to fuck. Oh, oh okay. I love that, that. Makes more sense somehow, you know. And I, I I've always kind of thought of that as a piece of misdirection of like is the wrong CD in this case kind of mm -hmm. trickery. But you know that wouldn't be the only uh, misdirection that. Prick Decay would engage in. There's a no. particular <laughs> interview in uh, Banana Fish number 10, an essential issue of Banana Fish, as which they all are, but, uh, you know, thanks for that, Seymour Glass, where Dylan and Lisa, uh, I, I mean, 
they, the the illusion or the rumor or the story is made that they're they're an incestuous brother and sister that like live with their parents. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's really no illusion. They just say no, it, they it just say directly. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And forever, we all we thought that. thought that we were under the impression that that is the reality, and it wasn't until I finally did meet them. Yes. In the mid 2000s, that that rumor was dispelled quickly, and Seymour Glass himself said that it was even later that he found it out and he was always under the impression that that was real. I believe he says that on our interview with him, if it's not recorded, it might've been just in our conversations. I don't remember, but it really was one of those things. And rereading that interview today made me think about how that sort of thing that banana fish interviews would do, or Mm -hmm. just interviews back then in general could do that. I don't know if, they can do anymore just that mix of total misinformation wild misinformation but as a new noise fan getting that issue also sort of being like well they make music that sounds like this i guess that they also do that kind of stuff in their they seem reasonably (laughs) depraved why not like so (laughs) it it made sense even when you meet them you're like Okay. Sure. sure. Like it makes sense. So it made me think about a time yeah. where interviews could act as almost another release, much like the macro in- interview mm-hmm. in the same issue. Oh god. It's these interviews become so legendary. I don't know if that's can happen again. Yeah, I mean even before, you know, Banana Fish, like when I was younger reading something like Maximum Rock and Roll, you Back then, you took it as sort of gospel. This is the band saying, like, giving information. But, of course, there's so many weird lies and stories and misdirection, even in that kind of thing, where there's no... You can't go fact check this stuff easily back then. There was no way how... Here's the only way you have to get any information from Prick Decay is, like, this one interview and... Or, like, sending them a message where they might also be... Contradict that or confirm that or whatever. Like, it's... There's no, you know, there's no way to actually verify any of this stuff. And that's that made it sort of fun. That made it uh, stranger and and more dangerous somehow. I mean, I'm not really in in danger of uh, an incestuous brother and sister making noise, but, you know, it's one of those sort of oddball fringe sort of things that... uh, society would look down upon there's i mean there's all so much weird stuff in that interview too like uh dylan's whole diatribe about why taking baths is better than taking showers because you get to sit in your own muck and i actually (laughs) i always remember that as well and yeah the first time i stayed at dylan and and karen's place there they and this is generally this is a uk thing as well but they only had a bath like there was not an option for a shower. And I and I immediately thought of the interview. I was like, <laughs> we get to oh, mix our muck. <laughs> it's just like that interview. <laughs> Maybe that was real, yeah. a real feeling but from like, the interview. But that banana fish, I feel like we all had it. And like you would go to somebody's house and you would sit on their couch and like read it while you're like hanging out together. And 
I legitimately read that interview right before I heard Prick Decay for the first time. And so that was my entire framework. And I was just like, what is this? Who are these people? And for us, the first, I was trying to remember what the first Prick Decay we had was, and it's a toss up between guidelines for basement, non-fidel, Cuba, planet Cuba, or junk operatics on Freedom From, which I always loved that title. And I wrote that down actually on the fourth track, which I saw as sort of a suite of the album. And I said, junk operatics indeed. I think that's a perfect description. There's of, a lot of movements in it. Yes, exactly. And yeah, even the way the CD has the fuck gong compact disc and then mud sounds for car stereos. Because we're dealing with both Ron Lassard and Prick Decay, it could have gone either way. I could have seen Ron totally renaming the CD and not telling them or something like that. <laughs> but it indeed was Prick Decay's decision to confuse the masses with the CD face and the title. And damn, this is so good. It holds up so well. It's, it's thrilling, honestly. Yeah, it sounds yeah great low these many years later and the cassette handheld elements just make me really excited when i hear them yeah there's a fidelity to it and w what isn't tape is these like electronics that seem like they're struggling to hang on they are burnt out they are frayed wires and there's no there's no kind of controlling what's going on here you know that everything is sort of frazzled and pushed to its limit and it's you know broken radios and weird static and maybe some turntable. There's some weird sort of cyclic sounds going on here. And, you know, Anthony, you mentioned the, the sort of panning and there's a lot of, a lot of stereo processing on this or like not processing, just like different things played in either ear. A lot of movement things sent back and forth across the stereo field to nauseating effect, especially considering the fidelity of all this stuff is very uncomfortable. And there are, sort of classics of lo-fi noise production, handheld tape production, which is like the gross kind of vomit vocal uh, taped conversation stuff, taped off the television or radio all mixed into this like grotesque noise stew. We are just immediately thrown into the no fi noise here on track one. The, Trash and feedback and noise decay, the perviness, the drunkenness, it's all starting us off here. Yeah, the maniacal nature of this album. Like by the second track, when it's like um, thrift store toys that have activated a small handheld circular saw, and then you think something kinky's probably happening. I really enjoy that second track as soon as it just kicks off and then you're in the pocket. It's got that siren on it too, the second track. And you know, these tracks, uh, aside from the suite of track four that Connolly mentioned, and then uh, five and six are a little longer, but we're talking two and a half minutes, minute and a half to two and a half minutes for the majority of the tracks on this thing, which is a definite decision because they really blur together. Like I, I often wonder how these tracks are split up, <laughs> like how, because Four is definitely uh, has a bunch of movements that could have been individual tracks, but it isn't. It's one almost 19 minute piece 
the the abuse of of tape players in this is something you just hear on so much of it like crude crappy microphones uh motors struggling against maybe crusty tape i everything in this is drenched in some kind of fluids or gunk or sticky residue you know there's there's a layer of incense smoke and dust corroded on everything yellowed nastiness and it sounds like that it really does sound like like dirty noise it has this beautiful um like it's it walks this line the fidelity allows it to walk this line of intelligibility and unintelligibility where there's like that that voice that's saying something and i and it sounds like i hate something so and it's like that pitched up childish voice and like the first half of it, I think it's saying I hate, but I don't know that it's saying I hate. And then the second half of it is like a nickname for somebody or just like I can't comprehend what it is. And that's one of those moments I always look forward to when I'm listening to it. I'm like, where, where is that? Where is that bit? That bit's going to show up and I'm going to try again to try to understand what is being said. And I am going to fail and I'm going to enjoy failing. It's the secret recording in a secret room feel. Yes. It, it feels like it, it, it. I mean, I know a lot of people contributed sounds to it, but what it feels like is that there's a chunk of it that is um, like recordings from other people's families or, you know, just just like mm-hmm. like uh, there's a conversation uh, with Lasuria about like getting reel to reel tapes on, on the, one of the Patreon exclusive episodes. Um, and, and you can sign up at Patreon and. Oh, Hey, hey nice. Hey, right. You can hear that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that conversation made me think of this record. Cause that really does feel like it, it just, you know, it's, it's like, I it's some, some of the sounds on it. I just can't picture somebody sitting there making those sounds in order to then damage them. You know, it feels like maybe they sat their niece down and be like, here, just play with this thing. And then like recorded their, you know, like, like uh, it, there's a naivete in, involved in those sounds that are being manipulated. That makes me feel like they weren't uh, directly created for this. But if they were, then that's a great acting job or, you know, great, great, uh, great performance. Anthony, I know the part you're talking about with a sped up voice. And I assume that that is, you know, when you get, toys at a thrift stop shop and then you cut them open and you rip the voice boxes out. Yes. It reminds me of a pull string toy and you're holding the string and there's tons of those going off at once. Yes. There's but I know what you mean. There is definitely a voyeuristic feel to a lot of those bits of recordings that go throughout the whole CD. There's actually just a voyeuristic feel to the whole CD at points you are feeling, are, are we watching something? Are we hearing something we're supposed to be hearing or not supposed to be hearing? Did Dylan and, and Lisa take, do some secret recording somewhere and, and throw them on here? Or did one of the participants do that? It has this great confusion that I know, I know what you mean when you said that there is another sort of nineties noise that isn't macro pain jerk etc right. 
there's prick decay. There's to live and shave in L.A. There's these the other side of '90s noise. You mentioned interruption is one that sure, I always think sure. of alongside that, and probably the person to play me prick decay first also was Joel. So I I associate this record and this kind of sound with him and Spite for some reason. Well, for that reason. Oh, definitely, and I think I think Ron as well bridged a lot of that gap between the sort of Japanese harsh noise, American mm-hmm. harsh noise, and then the weirder stuff like Prick Decay. I know what you mean too, Gray, about how how were these tracks picked? And generally, Prick Decay releases have track titles. This doesn't. So it leads me to think possibly they sent in the tape and Ron possibly divided it up because I even felt between track four and five, it was a direct continuation. Mm-hmm. There were some similar things happening in both tracks, especially at the end of the beginning. And the, so, the ticking, the ticking yeah. clocks like really make it cohesive. And, and even uh, track four, five and six, I think, yeah. flow into each other very. It's sort of the fluidly. prog section. It's prick decay prog. Actually, it's funny <laughs> uh, on on track three. There's there's again, like that's where I think you really hear the tape motor struggling. But all after everything gets kind of fried and the electronics kick in again, it's a two and a half minute track. There's sort of this outer, like a uh, outer space gamelon kind of like weirdness going on. It gets like not quite crowdy, but like psych experimentally, but still very crude infidelity. But it's where the electronics kind of shine the most as uh, I dare say like proper <laughs> electronics, proper uh it almost gets a little musical that happens a bit at points in, uh, in the fourth piece as well, but it's, it's funny to hear once you've already been exposed to like all of this randomness, you're not sure if, yeah, is that prick decay actually playing something or is that another snippet stolen from somewhere, taped from somewhere, something someone sent in, it doesn't fit, but it fits perfectly. Yeah. This, there's this moment on the record that reminds me of another tape that I've heard. And I'm the only person who's heard this tape other than like five or six other people. Cause it's, it's a friend of mine that I went to college with when he was in high school His a high school teacher gave him a Korg monopoly. That's a thing that happened in the nineties. You know, you could get those types of synths and moogs at church garage sales. Yeah. Right. Nobody knew what to do yeah. with them. No one cared like, about yeah. those. The monopoly is enormous and heavy and it's a real mm-hmm. pain in the ass to take places as somebody who toured, or I mean, I didn't really tour, but I played shows with them in the nineties and God, that thing sucked to carry around. But yeah, so my friend made this, t- like he did this. It's actually the friend of mine who got me into making noise rather than just listening to noise. He, um, uh, and he like works in augmented reality now. He's not like, he, he doesn't make noise these days, but uh, he like made this tape that had all these like weird cutups and samples of things and had like strange synth things. And maybe, maybe he even made it with a tracker on a computer, like maybe before he got the, the monopoly, but it had these like these weird, these weird like shifting notes and moving around. And the only thing I've ever heard that sounds like it is this on this prick decay record. There's that part that's like, that's like all, uh, like twinkly and like it's it sounds like um it sounds like a computer in a movie from the yeah, 60s yes. <laughs> and, absolutely but, it, but it's like half computer from the 60s but it's not a random sample and hold it seems to like trail upwards in pitch as if as if somebody is playing it's like halfway between a random series of notes and something being played 
And maybe that's because it's a random series of notes on a tape that's being sped up and slowed down. Uh, I think that would, that's that around would... 10 minutes in, in track four. I, I actually made note of it because it re- the thing it reminded me of is the uh, Andromeda Strain soundtrack by yes. Gil Melly. Yes, maybe it is. From that That's the other touchstone for that. Yes, that, that, now that you say that, I hear that perfectly. That's what clicked maybe to me what, like immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, that that's one standout part of the fourth track. There are so many. There's that, that one starts with that weird drone and just like more scrambled static fuzz and stuff. But the, there's just this drone going in your left ear that keeps kind of building and changing a bit. It's the most constant sound on the entire record, I would say, for any uh, duration. But there's also the wonderful, wonderful Milch conversation on track four and you're talking about like hooks that's one of them for me on this yes, thing is like as soon as i absolutely. hear that I'm, i have to i like stop what i'm doing and just tune in even though i've heard it a hundred times i have to hear this weird interview thing about this guy who's gonna start making dairy products but they haven't actually milked the cows yet and i, I wouldn't it, assume they're cows yeah i think from context i think it's not cows Okay, but that, I'd that say it's, it's probably the, camel or in, yak or goat or something. Well, because the and the interviewer is asking if it's going to taste like cow milk. Oh, and right, he says right. no. Yeah. So Tara said she thinks it's yak milk. I mean, yeah. there there have been bursts of popularity over the years, and I mean, buffalo is really kind of normal at this point. Um, yak milk had a had a surge of popularity, and also camel milk. And when people made it first commercially available, it was it was quite the rage. But I love that he says, no, we don't. We haven't made it yet. They're not yeah, old enough. We don't, yeah. we don't know. They're like, not it's, old it's, enough to it's, milk. It's <laughs> such a non sequitur. And it's so <laughs> evocative. And non sequitur is like the other word that I would use to describe this record. It's so confusing from moment to moment. The the I mean, this, this actually now that I've heard that list of names of people involved, it's like, oh, Oh, I get it now. Like there, there's so many people contributing to this. And that's why you go from these weird alien synth textures to weird voice vomit to, you know, playful toys. And for what, what sounds like, like, uh, it sounds like a manipulation of somebody drumming. And like, if you had, if you had an untreated version of the tape, it sounds like somebody drumming for real, like, like actually competent musically. Um, in a couple places. So the, yeah, like the, the, the non sequitur aspect of this is just climaxes in this, this insane conversation where someone who doesn't know what they're talking about yet has somehow been interviewed by the news about their business plan. That is like, like you couldn't get a loan for this business yet. <laughs> you, you have not, you don't, you, you clearly have like the sketch of a business plan, not an actual business plan. And like, it just it's it's one of the all time greatest samples on a noise record. I think I just just it's just so out of nowhere. Who has ever made noise about milk before uh, in this kind of context, at least because I can imagine other people have made uh, sexy milk records somewhere. Um, but. <laughs> I think my favorite question in that whole segment is once he says he, that they haven't milked them yet, they don't know they haven't actually made any of this product. She asks him if he has any ideas of what it'll taste like. Oh, that is such <laughs> yeah. a good question. <laughs> and it's I, evocative. I just, I just think it's so great. It, it really, that's like a metaphor for this record. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the inclusion of that question encourages the listener to try to answer that themselves. They don't even know what kind of milk we're dealing with. And we, we know that this guy is really sincerely committed to the idea that this milk is going to be different and good. <laughs> and Cheese but and we yogurt. don't know how it's going to be different. And it's, it's like an invitation to the listener to enter this world. Fantastic. I think non sequitur is a good description, but the CD also state while it goes so many places and there's so many crude cuts and crude sections piled on top of each other, it all sort of stays in the same headspace. So it's not, yes, it's not super jarring, even though it is jarring. You know what I mean? There's a surprising, yeah, it's remarkably consistent while being completely bonkers. It's, I yeah. mean, it's, there's a reason <laughs> this is a record that we all love that we've been listening to for, I don't know, 25 years or so. And it's, it's just, it's, it's internally consistent by being insanely not consistent and yet the 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 fidelity is similar enough from moment to moment and the sort of like i mean it's all these sounds from all these people but clearly one or two hands were involved in the actual final product and and i mean i don't know if they put it all together or if ron picked from a collection of things they sent and because it because it could have that curatorial hand too here right like it it feels immaculately like it's like a dj set of a pile of really weird noise tracks that they just they just they flow even though they're like kind of train wrecking and how the like the non sequiturs are piling up but they just but there's there's this hidden logic that that pulls you through the story of this record which climaxes with the thing about the milk for me (laughs) absolutely i love that the hidden logic of this record but we do have an answer for that query. And this was the second attempt at a CD for triple R by prick decay. We wrote Dylan and have been referencing some of the information he provided for us throughout this episode. And one thing he did say was that they sent in a different album that was rejected by Ron initially. And I love that they went ahead and did another, they didn't Mm -hmm. get discouraged. They, put together another album and he even said that he thought this would be rejected as well but to his pleasant surprise it was accepted and so it was not necessarily curated by Ron but it was encouraged by Ron to submit something else and that is something we've heard from people that Ron would do that and I think that's great I love to know that a label head is curating in that way where they may see something else in a project they asked for and are okay rejecting something, but still saying, Hey, go ahead and send something else. It's just, this is not the thing that I was envisioning we would put out by you. And I think it's great that prick decay decided, Hey, we're going to go ahead and send something else. But this was a time when, so obviously at this point, and in the interview in Banana Fish, Prick Decay is Dylan and Lisa, a.k.a. Dora Dahl. But it will also transition to 
his relationship with Karen, of course, of Smack Music 7, and then they would go on to become Penga. So according to Dylan, this was sort of a, in the transition period from working with Lisa to working with Karen. So, and obviously Karen is on this album as well, according to the list on the CD. So kind of a transitional period possibly for the band. But I really like the hidden logic comment that you said, because I think that it really has that feel throughout the whole disc. It has a bunch of stuff where I'm just like, would I have the confidence to release something that sounded like this? Where, you know, like just, just hanging out in one channel for a long time is something that I'm, I'm like, I think I'm going to have to try my hand at that. I don't know if it'll end up on a tape, but I, I'm just like, ah, I kind of want to see what, what does it feel like to do something that just hangs out in the left ear for a while and then then it comes back on the right and and it's different and you know there's no attempt at making it balanced no i think that's the nature of the four track too and and right. Dylan even mm-hmm. said that it's it was a half broken four track so the stereo the right half was broken I'm like, yeah exactly <laughs> look we all have a broken four track but, let's be honest but the stereoness of the cd to me felt like that four track stereoness where you're just moving the the dial moving it around yeah moving the slides you know it's not the computer stereo where you can you put one track in one Mm -hmm. thing and one track in the other this is truly physical and yeah. the physicality of shifting the slides. And what I kept thinking was that the composition is so organic. Like, it seems like it comes naturally, but it moves really quickly. Uh, and, and it just works well. The it And I'm always surprised it doesn't go into the, like, zany territory. It has a massive amount of variety without seeming like a zany kitchen sink cartoonish noise. It comes off as intentional and that is something that i respect and like about this album i think the fidelity helps unify all that and also Connolly, when you're talking about sort of the four track and being you know moving the dial for that stuff 95 and sort of the the crude means that prick decay was using you don't have like fancy stereo effects and all like any of that kind of stuff there's not there's not like a nice stereo reverb pedal or like panning pedal yeah it is recording a bunch of stuff to your four track and then playing it back, cutting it up, switching channels on and off, and then probably doing the mix down entirely by hand again, once everything's been kind of cut onto all these channels and switching between them. And it, it really does lend to this sound and to not thinking of things in the same way as digital recording, recording to a computer, even the sort of comforts we've had with like, having a mixer, you know, when the four track is your only mixer and just operating in that way and mixing down to two track, I think it, (laughs) it breeds a different approach to making noise or it did. And I think that's part of why people are still using four tracks and still excited about four tracks is because of that both fidelity, uh, tape saturation and just the hands-on process of mixing your music. I can't imagine Dylan Neuigas in 1995 thinking 
that he should get a really nice stereo reverb pedal that doesn't even seem exactly. that could go into his brain <laughs> in 1995. He's only thinking about taking baths and taping the toilet. I mean, like that's that's the thing is like there's so much yeah. there's so much weird and unidentifiable sound contained in all these tracks, and then it's slopped together with more impossible to pinpoint stuff and yeah the there's no concern for fidelity nicely capturing something even being able to tell what it is what matters is the sound and if it sounds weird on the tape then then we're good and this that's one of those things i mean 1995 it we talk about this a lot it's it was different times but also like being weird was it was a thing it was like its own uh like a full-time job for some people and I feel, I feel that in this is just like, and in that interview, they were weird. They were strange. They were not, they were out there to uh, upset you a little bit, to confuse you. You did not know what was going on and they were making their own weird art any way they could. And that is what is captured on this disc. The clock begins to tick as we wind down the album. Broken four track is still kind of working, but it keeps falling in and out of consciousness and the tape hiss starts to rain. Track six, there is just this raining tape hiss that is mwah. It's it absolutely it's delicious. Uh hiss is fully written in my notes, also return of the clack which to me was the clock going in that thing, that same <laughs> ticking, uh, but with like noise cut over it. And maybe a, there's a loop in this that is so strange and weird and doesn't feel like a loop, but then it parts of it repeat or don't. And I, I could probably try and figure that out for days, just sit there and kind of piece together, isolated and piece together how that's done. Cause it is like, it, it's these repetitions, but they're, they don't, fit together properly it's a really strange thing it's It's in french okay that's probably why (laughs) it's completely unintelligible (laughs) (laughs) what other prick decay were you familiar with at this time anthony and was this the first one i can't remember did you say this was the first one this this i had no familiarity with them whatsoever and in fact i don't uh, so so there's that thing that happens when you like uh, are in New York City all the time in the, in the 90s, at least you sort of I bought a lot of records at shops rather than mail order. And so if 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 people didn't have distribution at Kim's or whatever, I didn't get it. Now, Kim's had gr- like Kim's had that freaking uh, incapacitance triple cassette that was uh, packaged in jeans. The oh, band productions. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had a lot of stuff. And in fact, I bought a bunch of LPs there at half off when they were blowing it out, like stuff that was, you know, like there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of really good classic stuff there. Um, like gray wolves and macro stuff that was oh, yeah, at had- 50% off at that record store. So, I got Incapacitance like, Operu CD at Kim's when we visited New York. Yeah, the three nice. of us went to Kim's together specifically for that purpose. 
So there's there's there was a lot of a lot of weird stuff you could buy in the city. And so but that sort of like being spoiled rotten for access made it so that like that that also curated what was available to me. Um and so I didn't come across other Prick Decay records. And I would have bought them because this record's incredible. Now I've since then I've heard a bunch of the other stuff. And this brings me back to our the how was this curated? And it doesn't surprise me that that Ron rejected a earlier one. And this one is this one is the one that made it through the gate because this one is the of what I've heard of Prick Decay under the name Prick Decay. This is the one that sounds the most like a pure CD. It's also the one that's the closest to my tastes and noise. So uh, now I haven't given the other ones enough of a listen to really let them sink in. And I'm still open to that. Like I, I like want to like more of Prick Decay than than I do at the moment or want to love more. I mean, I like all of it. I want to love the other records the way I love this record. But this record has a 20 year head start or a 15 year head start on on those. You know, it's like this is this is a foundational text for me, you know, like like uh, just like like uh, where your love like heaven by Masana on the Japanese American noise treaty comp oh, is yeah. going to be the greatest Masana track of all time um to me because because when i played it in a car in uh with with a friend of mine in the car they immediately said turn it off turn it off turn it off (laughs) in a panic attack and that set me down this path for life because i was like this there's insanely real power and noise and this this is fascinating so um there's a little digression there, but yeah, this record is one of those records that's so foundational. And when I hear the other records now, after the fact, long after the fact, I'm like searching for it to sound like this when I shouldn't expect it to, because it's clearly this is a project that does not have one sound that they do, because this record doesn't have one sound that it does other than the fidelity thing. Um, so yeah, so this is this is like this is like a, a, a like a, a little a little castle on a hill that's isolated from everything else. And it's just this, this monument of strangeness that is still incomprehensible all these years later. And it's just fascinating. I'll say Anthony and uh, other future guests, if you're going to digress while on noise extra talking about Japanese American noise treaty is a hundred percent an approved topic. Absolutely. <laughs> You mentioned the Masana Noise Extra CD, Pure CD. What were yes, some of those other amazing. Pure CDs that you got back then that stood out to you? So the funniest, uh, the funniest story I have about this is that I had the R.H. Yao uh, disc, which is called Contiguous. Yeah. Yes. But for literally years, I thought it was contagious. Oh, me too. I think I would still call it contagious. I'm sure I have on the podcast. And I, I think I reviewed it. Uh, I reviewed it and my review was predicated on it being named contagious because wow. it sounded contagious. And then I don't know, six to 10 years later, I realized this mistake and it was just <laughs> forehead slapper. Um, but I also had the like the pain jerk one and I had uh, a bunch of the Emil Bilio ones and um, 
and I'm blanking on the rest that I had, unfortunately. Um, I think I had the MSBR one. There's an MSBR one, right? Destructive locomotion. Yes, yep. yes, yes, yes. I had that. And oh, the Ministry of Foolishness. Incapacities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh okay. I could keep I could keep pulling these out. We're just of gonna my list brain. every pure CD. <laughs> but hey, the beautiful thing about pure CDs is you can still get them and you can still get them. We obviously encourage Attainable. anyone listening who hasn't picked up Mud Sound for Car Studios, go grab it directly from the man himself. Get Ron yourself a do couple a box more. set like like Ground Fault did. You should just do a full <laughs> set. Um, maybe make more than 23 of them or, or like a binder. That'd be very yeah. thick. It could be it could be like a little MERS box, yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. Wow, what a cool revisit on this classic pure CD. Yeah, for real. It, it really reminded me of my early noise listening and what I saw as how to record, at least in my brain. In my mind, this was on tape, on a broken four track, on a handheld, mm -hmm. something like that. And certainly that's an aesthetic that I leaned into a lot, especially in the early years. And listening to this again, and it had been a minute, but it really brought me back to those early days when things were very mysterious. When, again, something we talk about a lot, when the lines weren't necessarily so firmly drawn. For me, there was no difference of listening to Prick Decay or pain jerk or death pile it all felt in the same world to me and i still hold that mm -hmm. when things were felt more open when you had interviews of banana fish that you weren't 100 percent sure if they were pulling your chain or if they were just truly these drunken perverts as they called themselves in the interview and maybe it's a little bit of both, but I love revisiting this. I'm so glad that you brought this to us in. Yeah, and maybe that was just very inspiring for us because it made noise seem attainable because you didn't have to have like you didn't have to have an analog synth. You could use whatever you had. You can create your own equipment. You can just be a drunk pervert and go wild and achieve a sound that appealed to you or appealed to somebody else. It, 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 it truly made it seem achievable. And, and I think that is one of the reasons that this type of noise appealed to us so heavily in the nineties. I did not realize any of that when I listened to this, when I was younger, like I did not understand the, any of the process. It just seemed so alien to me even though I had a four track and um, I was doing stuff with broken, like, you know, like uh, circuit bending, broken tape decks. And, um, but I ne like, I never like pieced it together of like, Oh, like the thing I'm doing is so close to like the, the methods I'm using are so close to what they're doing. And yet it seemed so impossible. It seemed, seemed just like, like anything on these, like, I mean, I think, I think it's that illusion of like, uh, 
like oh like the Merzbau's address has like a has like a studio associated with it mm-hmm. and it's like oh that must i'm not gonna write to him i'm like too too intimidated and it's just like now it's like oh yeah like i'm like at headache desk and it's it's just my fucking desk in my bedroom you know like it's not it's not a real thing. It's, you know, it's just, it's just, you, you give a name to your yourself and like, yeah. And just like, you know, like I didn't, uh, somehow I got all this way into noise and nobody told me about banana fish until years after the fact. And so I had even less context for a lot of this stuff where it's just like things that I, some things that people told me in person at shows in the city. And so the thing about the the like adopted incest thing was conveyed to me as just incest amazing by word of mouth whereas like their brother and sister and it's like okay what what am i supposed to do with this information i have no idea and nobody told me that it's like oh there's this interview you have to read it until like a few years later i heard you know like you know, I, I got there eventually, but like, like, I, I really feel like, oh, wow, I missed out on a whole thing for like, like in my formative years of a noise guy, I was just reading Maximum Rock and Roll and going to punk shows and finding about weird stuff by being in the city all the time. Um, well, if you're in the suburbs, you go to your creepy friend's house and you dig through their magazine piles <laughs> and you pull out each other's records and you sit and read that stuff to each other while you're watching something strange on the television. And Hey, yeah, you I, know had, what? I had a f- still amazing fun to local do. record yeah. store. Still what I want to do. In, local record store. in New Jersey. That is that where you're from? Yeah. In Jersey. I'm, I'm from ocean township. Same, same zip code as Asbury park. Um, can walk to the ocean if I wanted to like, I mean, it'd be an hour, but it's walkable, you know? So, so because it was so easy to get to, we never went. Um, but we had this store vintage vinyl that actually just the, the last vintage vinyl just closed. They just retired. The owners just retired. Um, but there was a store in ocean township vintage vinyl and they had, they carried like slap ham records and, um, they, that's like where I bought the, the, like my man is the bastard records before I started mail ordering seven inches from uh, six weeks, I would buy, buy them at vintage vinyl. Like it would, and I've got like demo tapes from local bands there and, uh, they like I bought Sources of Power from Another World, uh, twelve inch there, which is Bastard Noise, Unseen Noise, Death, and Bizarre Uproar, from like nineteen ninety two, uh, and that's a record that has hooks on it. There's there's a line about uh, uh, Pluto's really fucking cold this time of year, something like that. That's like the thing that sticks in my mind is is that line, also completely insane. Um, Amazing. And yeah, so I had like, I got like lucky to have this local record store that had like really good DIY stuff for like, you know, like seven inches for $3 back then. Sometimes they were two fifty. Now they're $12. Very and that's sad. okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay that, the, I mean, it's, it's okay to like, it's, it's okay that they are like, you know, people should price things reasonably for what they cost to make. Right. Like I'm not asking anybody to put out a $3, seven inch in 2021 on like, unless they get a, you know, somebody with a ton of money wants to give away a bunch of seven inches. Um, but it's just sad that like, 
It used to be that every band could afford to press a thousand seven inches and they would sell a thousand seven inches, you know, like like Os Rotten sold like five thousand seven inches or something, something like that. You know, like the idea of a band selling five thousand copies of their punk single uh, just seems impossible now because uh, because it's just like the, the market for physical media has shrunk so much. And so the price has gone up commensurate with that. I mean, there's also inflation, but it's just a. Uh, I just really miss the days where you just go buy a ton of seven inches because you like the art on the record and you listen to it and you find out this whole other world exists. And the split seven inches used to be a thing. That was like a really great way to find bands was like compilations used to be good and split seven inches used to happen and be like, oh, I like this band. They've done six split seven inches. I'm going to listen to all these split seven inches. And nowadays. There just like just doesn't seem to happen that often. You know, there's like that, that Kazumoto Endo incapacitance split seven inch. That's incredible. Uh, Incaps macro. You know. Yeah. Classic. We listen to seven inches every Sunday. You sure do. <laughs> I just listened to the episode about pain jerk and bastard noise. And you can hey. too. If you sign up on Patreon.com. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's hey, a man. You know what? You know, it might be uh, time to note that Anthony is actually our oldest patron, our first patron ever. Our very of the first show. one. Uh, <laughs> this is thank true. You, this Anthony. is true. That's so sweet. I was at the $2 uh, level for a long time, but I kicked it up to 10 because I wanted to listen to the trash where it really got me. And just like, okay, I'm going to find out all these secrets <laughs> about how other people are doing the same thing as me. And I'm really curious about it. So that, that really that pulled me in. Well, we well, really, really like appreciate it. Secrets. I do. It's, it's fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, speaking of the Patreon, I think we're going to end this regular episode and head over for the Extra Noise Extra. So, Anthony, thank you so much. <laughs> Dylan, thank you so much for providing info on this CD. And, and hello to you and Karen. Weirdo. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We'll certainly have to have you guys on. Soon. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra. With three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.